Welcome to the Bird Enough Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. This is episode 52, and for today's episode, all the way from Spain, I'm joined by the author of the All the Birds of the World book, Josep Del Hoya. He tells us all about how a book of this magnitude was put together, as well as sharing about his own birding experiences, as well as Lynx Editions, who published the book. As always, The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Birdlasser bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously where to find amazing birds. Be sure to check out our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, our YouTube channel, our youth podcast, and our various social media platforms. So without further ado, let's dig into today's interview with Joseph Del Hoyo. Okay, Joseph, it's want to welcome you to the Birding Life podcast all the way from Spain. It's great to have you on the show. So welcome. Uh, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. We are far away, but at least we are in the same hour, <laughs> in the same time. That's an advantage. It does make it a little bit different. I think the seasons are a little bit different. I know this side, it's incredibly hot right now. Oh, yeah, that's completely, com- completely opposite. We are starting the spring, by the way. So, so you can, all the birds are leaving here and all the birds are coming that side now? Well, Spain is quite rich in wintering birds. So in our garden where I work, sometimes you see more birds in winter than because we are in southern Europe and that means that many birds breeding in northern Europe are spending the winter here. So yes, many birds are coming here, but many birds are leaving to the north for their breeding grounds after spending the winter here in Spain. What I found is very interesting was is that you're not an ornithologist. You're actually a doctor or a physician. So how did a Spanish doctor end up writing one of the most sought-after bird books in the world right now? Well, I was a, a, a medical doctor, and I had a hobby, as many others. And what happened was that with time, my hobby was growing, uh, was uh, capturing most of my interest. And after, I would say, less than three years, I was not working as a, as a doctor anymore. And I was... Uh, doing things always related with ornithology and conservation. So it's true, I'm not, by, by formation, I'm not a, an ornithologist, but um, I don't mind calling myself an amateur ornithologist. But it's nice because uh, even if I am amateur, in the last 32 years of my life, all my living has come from, from ornithology. And I only work a few years as a, as a medical doctor. So personally, I feel much more as an ornithologist, uh, conservationist, etc., than a real medical doctor. But the question I was thinking when I was preparing is, is how do you feel that, you know, studying to be a doctor and also you're practicing for a doctor for those two years, do you think it helped you in your approach to birding? Well, I think so. I think so. Because the, the kind of, I mean, medicine is not so far from biology. And in many aspects there, I studied genetics, I studied the statistics, 
I studied biochemistry. So there is a quite a significant overlap between one thing and, and the other. So I think that it really helped me. And particularly in my case, because I always was more interested, let's say, in microbiology or things related with research than with taking care of, of patients myself. So I think that in the end, what I have been doing is not far from what I was interested and what attracted me to study medicine. That was much more research. And in the end, I, I sometimes explain that I think I've just changed the size of my interest, my target organism that now is birds and before were uh, <laughs> micro microorganisms. So yes, I think it, it helped quite a lot. So besides being a doctor, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did this love for birds get started? Well, there is, uh, normally there is one point, it, it's almost by chance. I, I, ha I was interested in nature since a very early age. Uh, when I was a kid, there were some TV programs in Spain about nature that were very, very beautiful and that were stimulating a lot of people of my generation. And one day I decided to go to look for mammals, for big mammals in one of the national parks in Spain, in the in the Pyrenees mountain. And I was on my own and I found another person that was with binoculars and uh, he helped me to look for the sheep that we were looking for. But at the same time, he showed me my first day bearded vulture, he showed me a black woodpecker, uh, quite a, a number of very interesting birds. And at the end of that day, I had a car. I, I took my that new friend to the hotel where he was spending the night and I went and suddenly I decided to do, like in the movies, a 180 degrees turn around and come back to the hotel, look again for this person and say, no, please, I want to make a list. So that the, of, of everything that we saw. And since then, it was um, more and more dedication and making lists and, and all this. But that was a, a very special moment. Then when I was working as a doctor, that was shortly after that, I was in the doctor in a village. And in that village, um, I had to be people had to be able to find me if they needed me. So I had some signs on my door saying, I'm at the restaurant, I'm uh, at the house of that person or whatever. And I had several that, that were saying, I'm watching birds in the forest of Kodul, or I'm watching birds in the river, uh, in the bridge over the river, or things like that. And people knew, and that was not a problem. They they came and looked for me, let's see our grandfather or whatever. And, but I, when I was a doctor, I really spent many hours watching birds. And then it looks like I was reading a, bit of, a little bit about your, your, a little bit about your life, and it looks like you've traveled to quite a lot of different countries to see birds. Oh, well, yes. Yes, that has been one of the privileges of, of my life. I, I think I've, I've been behind birds in about 120 country. So yes, I after two years being a doctor, I bought a Land Rover and with two friends, one of whom is my wife, but then it, she wasn't, uh, we went for 13 months on a trip through 15 countries in Africa. And when I came back from that trip, I was already very, very much in, into bird watching and interested in ornithology and all this. And I thought I have to change my professional life for one that involves traveling a lot. 
what an amazing life. It's always great to hear people's stories. So a big part of your story has been Lynx Editions, which was started in 1989. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the history of this publishing house and what its mission is. Well, just shortly after I came back from that long year in Africa, I had this. I, I had bought all the books that I thought would help me to identify the birds we were finding. You know, I was watching birds every day in that in those thirteen months in Africa. But I realized that the the books, even if they were important and good, because we're pioneering and it was uh, done in the nineteen seventies, etc., but were not enough. I, I I could not identify birds that I was seeing very well, but you realize that in these field guides of the of the time, you could see that not all the species were covered. After a description of one species, there was an entrance saying allied species were, and others were just explained in one in one line. So it was completely insufficient. And I decided when I came back, I will look. I'm sh- I will look for a, a bit big treaties about all the birds of the world, I'm sure that the British, the Americans, or maybe the Germans, whoever, will have done that. And it, what happened is that it, I was wrong. <laughs> Nobody had done that. And that's when I started to, to think in that possibility. And uh, I, I knew this would be a, a large enterprise <laughs> or, or a, a difficult thing. And I, I never tried to do this just me alone. So the first thing was to find my best friend and also an ornithologist and bird watcher, Jordi Sargatal. And he, after, after telling that I was crazy many, many times, he finally said, well, Josep, you are crazy, but I help you. So we were two. Then we realized that we wanted to establish our own publishing house because we didn't want to do this on a commercial orientation. And for that, you need money. We didn't have money, my friend or me, well, to invest at, at this kind of level. And Jordi was the director of a natural park. And around it, there was uh, the owner of, of one of the biggest uh, campsites in the country that had expressed a good, um, let's say, interest. Uh, he went to the park not to ask something for his company, but to say he wanted to help with the reintroduction of the otter in that park, etc. So Jordi organized to introduce this new partner, that is Ramon Mascor, and the three of us started the company in 1989, and we are still now, 30-something years after, we continue being partners and very good friends and very happy with all that we have tried. So we're going to chat in a moment about the All the Birds of the World book, but before we chat about that, what are other books that are available from Lynx Editions? Well, this this book uh, that that is has all the all the all the species of birds in just one volume. This is a book related with other projects, without which it couldn't exist, and it couldn't exist, especially at this at the price that that we are selling it. So, before that, the beginning, the company was established to do the first big handbook in seventeen volumes, same format as this, all the birds of the world handbook of the birds of the world. Then we repeated the story with the handbook of the mammals of the world, and these two are still selling. Quite, of course, not as as, a, as when we launched them, but 
they have still important sales. And we have done, uh, we have started a, with BirdLife International, a collection of, of field guides. This year we have, we have published uh, the one for Malaysia. Just a few days ago, the birds of Colombia, the birds and mammals of the Galapagos. And then we have other big books like uh, the for the mammals, we have the illustrated checklist of the mammals of the wall in two volumes with all the mammals also also illustrated. And uh, we have published some important scientific books like the European Breeding Bird Atlas, the second edition in partnership with the European Bird Census Council. We have also published a very interesting uh, book title is The Largest Avian Radi- Radiation, the Evolution of Perching bird- Birds or the Order Passeriforms by John Fielsa and, and others. And it's very, very interesting. And, and, and still we, we have more. We are starting also a, a, a collection of guides of mammals and we have published mammals of China, mammals of South Asia, mammals of the southern corn of, of America, and we are preparing new ones. So quite a, a number of things. We are a small company, but not so small. <laughs> That's exciting. I must just say, when the all the Birds of the World book arrived in the post, I just want to say the packaging was absolutely exceptional. I, I was absolutely blown away with the customer service that you guys gave, and I just must just commend you guys for the professionalism that you do, what you do with, how you, how you do your job with? Well, the the packaging, we are very proud because all, that was the way to uh, stop using uh, styrofoam, or I, I'm not sure the, the word in English for this white thing that sometimes you see sections in when <laughs> watching birds at sea. Uh, styrofoam. Yes, that, that thing. So uh, originally we had used that and, Several years ago, we wanted to change, and this was uh, quite studied and throwing the books inside these boxes and realizing that they were well protected, etc. Yes, and, and the customer service, we always understood that treating the people well was the the one very important factor to be successful, and we have always done a, a big effort. Now it's difficult times because of COVID. The transportation, for instance, to send now books to South Africa has been this. You have less opportunities; it's more expensive. So sometimes, in because of the pandemic, the the books are taking longer and. We suffer, the customers suffer, but at least we try to to help and to do a good tracking and make the people know that their book, we know where it is, et cetera, et cetera. I can imagine putting a book together that covers every bird in the world must have been a huge undertaking. I've spoken to people that have done regional field guides, and this covers every bird in the world. So that's 11,524 birds that are covered in this book. So tell us about the process behind putting a book of this magnitude together. Well, to be honest, this book that we have published in 2020, it started like 30 years earlier with that project I was referring, the 17 volumes, the Handbook of the Birds of the World. And when, of course, producing that took uh, uh, many years. And when we finished the last volume, the, the volume 16, and then the special last volume, the taxonomy have been quite out of date. So we decided to do a new project that was the illustrated checklist of the birds of the world, again, co-publishing with BirdLife International. And this uh, project was 
already presenting all the birds of the world, but just in two volumes. And then this was the, 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 the next step, was to produce all the birds in one volume with the main target of arriving to many more people than before because of the price and because of the some people, people must be quite interested or quite deeply interested to buy 17 volumes and, and a huge price. So this was the, the, the last project to make a, a book that is big, etc., but is simple. It's all the birds with all the distribution maps, etc., but not not a lot of text. There are other aspects I'm sure we'll talk. But this book could not exist without all the work that went to the two uh, to the two previous projects, the handbook and the checklist. So when we started doing the, the new book, All the Birds of the World. We had many things. We had a list, the, the, the updated list, taxonomical list that we had prepared for the checklist. And now we had to go one by one, uh, updating things, updating uh, taxonomy, updating distribution maps, uh, doing something that had not been done before is comparison of taxonomy from several, several authorities. And this was a matter of spending time and we spent the best part of three years doing that species by species work. But without without the predecessors, it would have not been possible. A nice way to put it is this is a monster book. It's 968 pages and it weighs a massive 4.8 kilograms. So can you give us an overview of what's in the book? Well, what, what it is in the book is what it says in the title. It's all the birds of the world. And that's why it's a monster, because there are more than 11,000 uh, a species, if if one counts all the taxonomies, and uh, we also put the the extinct birds that we know that have been extinct since the year one thousand five hundred, and then there cannot be much, there cannot be a lot of uh, technicalities or content about the biology. Basically, is illustrations of the birds, distribution maps, a status, threatened status category, uh, size of the bird notes on distribution, alternative names, uh, number of subspecies or if the species is uh, monotypic. So basically, it's very, very simple. But the good thing that what makes this book special is that with just one volume, even if it's a monster, but uh, you can look and take the basic information for, uh, for any species of bird of the world. So it's a beautiful book, but let me be honest, when you first get the book in your hands, it can be a little bit intimidating. There's 11,000 odd birds in the book. So how would someone find a specific species in the book? So from you get the book in your hand, you want to find a certain bird. How would that process look from getting the book in your hand to being able to find a specific species? Well, if it's a specific species, uh, the best, the fastest way is just going to the analytic index at the end of the book where all the Latin names of each species, including synonyms and all the English names, the, the main ones and the alternative ones that have been included also. So you have all the, the names of the families in English, in Latin, etc. And you go there alphabetically and go very quickly. But there is also a visual family index in the internal covers, uh, the non-passerines at the beginning of the book and the passerines at the end, where it is very, very easy to find the, the families and 
which page you have to go. And of course, at the beginning, there is a table of contents where, you know, this is a book with taxonomy. It's classifying the birds. So everything is very well sorted. So finding finding things is, is quite simple. So before the book arrived, I was interested to see how you would ensure that the four major world checklists are catered for in the book. And the way you do that is through using taxonomical circles for each one of the species. And pretty much just to describe it quickly, it's a, it's a circle that's divided into four sections with each covering a world checklist, which makes use of colors and letters. But for somebody who's never seen the book or maybe has got the book in front of them, can you explain how that taxonomic circle works? Maybe if I explain that without seeing it, it could, it could look like it's more complicated. But in fact, it's very simple. You get a, cir- a, a circle and you divide in four sections. Let's say the northeast, the southeast, the southwest and the northwest. Four quadrants and there is four major checklists covering all the parts of the world. So the one in the, in the north. East is always the eBird checklist. The one in the northwest uh, is always the HPW and BirdLife International, and like that. So after using the book a little bit, you have a very clear, almost automatic idea that which taxonomy is one, each one of these quarters. And then there is this could be in uh, in colors from red, uh, intense red, let's say, to orange, pink, or white. And one species, the, the 90, close to 90%, 88%, something like that of the species, the four checklists agree. So it's the same. And the four checklists treat that form as a full species. So uh, close to 90% of the species, you will see this circle simply being all red circle. The four quadrants are red. That means everybody agrees and everybody treats them as full species. But in a 10 or 12% of the species, the circle could have different colors. And you may see three red ones and one which is pink. And pink means that instead of full species, is a subspecies. So you know that the checklist of that quadrant, which you would already know which one it is, is treating that species not recognizing as a full species, but only a subspecies. And the orange is a subspecies group that would be a, a, a group of subspecies, sometimes only one, that is like in a more advanced uh, process of speciation. So it has more chances to be considered a full species in the future or maybe very in the very near future. So in that case, a subspecies group. I think if one of the quadrants is white, that means that that specific checklist it's not accepting that species, which is quite rare, but there should be a few, a few cases like that. But after a little bit of, of becoming used to the book, this is very, very simple. So you get an impression about the level of agreement that you see is quite important. I say not 90, but very close to 90%. Everybody agrees. And for 10%, you can see, and immediately you see, well, this checklist is more accept less full species, maybe is a bit more conservative. That one is the most splitting one. So you get a, I think it's quite useful to appreciate the characteristics of each one of the four major checklists. You did really well to explain that on a podcast. And if someone's listening, 
I hope. <laughs> and they want to see how it looks. They can go onto the Lynx website. And it's, it's a really, it's a great system. And I, well, done for, well done for coming up for that there. So another thing that's often controversial in terms of birding is the naming of different species. Um, how does the book cover the different namings of species? Because, you know, there's, there's, there's different names around the world that people give birds. How does the book cover that? Yeah, yeah. And this happens especially when South Africans and North Americans and Europeans have the same species and each one receives a, a, a different name, which is, is very normal and I think it's nothing bad and it's nice to keep also all these names alive. But of course, in a book like this, where the space uh, is at a premium, it's, it's limited, what we did is to, to allow two possible names to be included. And the, the, the commitment of the book is to include all the English names of the HPW and BirdLife International checklist and the eBird checklist. The first one, because this book is, uh, is very much related with the, this, this other, the, with this other project. And the other one, because we believe that eBird is a very successful project, is hundreds of thousands of people using it, and we consider that it was important to include all of the names used by eBird. If there is only if the two checklists uh, have the same English name, which is most of the time only one is presented, if is different, then the two are included, and the one of eBird is put in blue ink, while the other one is in black ink. Sometimes if the eBird and HPW BirdLife English names are the same, then if there is another English name used by another checklist that is quite important, or we consider that is a name that is well known by many people, then because we have still another space, we also put that one. And if there is a if the, if it's a name that there is quite a lot of agreement, then we don't try to cover many things because that would be a that's more for for online projects, I think. But then we also include. So basically, is this commitment? HPW and eBird English names are all covered. Yeah, I think what people are hearing is there's an, as much as it's covering all the birds in the world, there's an, an incredible amount of detail in this book. So yeah, well done on that. So the book is probably the most visual appealing book on my bookshelf from the Philippian eagle on the cover to the 20,865 illustrations on the pages. I didn't count that. That's on the website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but how much detail is covered? Yeah, how much detail is covered in these illustrations? Because there must have been some limitations with the amount of birds that the book covers. Well, again, as I was saying in relation to the English names, that, by the way, is the same with scientific names. All the scientific names of eBird and HPW BirdLife are included. We have a similar commitment with illustrations. Illustrations are included for all the species, including male and female, if there is a difference, if there is sexual dimorphism. And we illustrate there is the commitment to illustrate all subspecies groups that that subspecies I was telling that are like more advanced, uh, closer to be considered a species. All of those are illustrated, but there are also more, let's say, normal subspecies at the, at the lowest level that also are interesting to be illustrated. And you can, or we have included hundreds of of these regular uh, subspecies also there. But 
in some pages where there was a space problem, we may have uh, eliminated some subspecies that are slightly different and that we had an illustration from one of the previous projects where we had much more space and those in this book, there, there is no room. But again, I insist all the species, male, females, uh, important morphs and all subspecies considered subspecies groups are represented and many more subspecies, but in that case, I cannot say all. So let's chat about the distribution maps because that's obviously always a very interesting thing in terms of birding is the distribution of species and that type of thing. So where has the information for these maps been gathered from? Well, again, this is a, a very good question to explain that relationship with the previous volumes because the 17 volumes of the Handbook of the Birds of the World had already distribution maps that were done by ourselves from the, from the literature, from everything that was published, from all the sources that uh, available. And then when we did the checklist, there was a, a massive update of this checklist with a combined work by BirdLife International that had a team of people working with distribution maps. And we also at links had a group of people working on maps. So it was a huge effort, but we, we were quite happy with that result. So the maps presented in all the birds of the world are basically those of the checklist, but also with uh, updates wherever it was needed. So I said that we were using things from the previous projects, but not just like that. When things were needing an update, we were updating and hundreds of maps have been updated. Now there is this eBird and other similar projects that give a lot of information and many maps have been modified, uh, adding new sections, eliminated some where the species has not been recorded or whatever. But that was the system. So I love whole, I love a physical book. There's nothing for me like holding a physical book in one hand and one's hand and paging through it. Now, you said earlier because of the amount of birds and that there's no way you could have put a lot of text around each species. But one thing, one thing that this book does allow is it makes use of technology through QR codes, which are supplied for all the living birds that are covered in the book. So can you tell us about this and what information will the users have access to? Well, um, I'm like you, uh, I'm also a fan of printed books and I, I always find different experience to go through a book and browsing pages, etc. and the online projects, which are also very useful and have several advantages. But I find lots of advantages in a, in a printed book. And I thought that this was a very adequate title to produce as, as a book. But now that all the most scientific projects and, and, and publications, etc., are being done online, we thought that in this book there could be a combination. We introduced these QR codes where... It's quite uh, impressive. You put the, the telephone, well, now people, everybody knows that. But in, in this case, you are browsing the pages, you are checking the kingfishers, and you are interested in one in particular. You click, and immediately you go to a page where you see the eBird results, you see videos, you see photographs, you can hear sounds recordings in general for 90% of the species, many large amounts of these files. And there is information 
practically for, for everyone. So we thought it was a, a good combination and uh, it's quite interesting. We are not including information about the voice of the, which is a very interesting, very important part. But there is a system here that you click and, and you hear calls, full song, variants, etc. So it's a, a quite important complement and allows more to have such a simple title because through these codes you can get much more information. It's very important that that we can have this project by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, Ebert and the Macaulay Library, which we also contributed with our other project we had the internet bird collection and hpw alive now all this is kept and very well updated and, and maintained by the cornell lab of ornithology and this has been a great a great resource i think makes the book much more interesting yeah it was great i went on a pelagic trip and i was able to come back and use the book and go look for european storm petrels go there scan the qr code and what was great was was to actually not just get a write-up and to get audio but to also get video and it's to go sometimes and see videos of these birds sometimes you know especially with pelagic birds you know the behaviors the way they fly and the way they behave is quite important so it's quite nice to be able to actually go and not just get the picture but to go and see their behavior out at sea which is awesome that's my my main interest i, I don't know if, if you've heard of that but since in the last years all my bird traveling changed from just watching birds to videoing birds so i have videos of more than 5,000 species in, in the wild, and all of them are uh, available through these websites that are connected with the QRs. But I find this very, very, very rich, very enjoyable, and also very practical to learn about the birds. It's so different to read about the display, courtship display of such a bastard, for instance, or to see it in a video. So I, I really like very much. This is almost something personal for me. There are five appendixes in the book. What do these cover? Well, um, the appendixes, there is the first one is the extinct species since the year 1500, which is more or less since there is a historical record and we find it we think it's very important to know what we are losing or we are missing. So that's the, the first appendix. There is a second one, which is more technical. The, the book tries to get interesting things for, for people just starting with birds, but also have interesting things for professional ornithologists and people interested in taxonomy. And this second uh, one covers, this second appendix covers uh, conflictive names uh, that just for scientific names when one checklist gives a name in a way and the other there is a difference in the spelling and trying to explain the problem and trying to explain why we have selected one as the as what we believe is the correct one that's the second the third checklist is the country codes because in the distribution maps as there is no text explaining the countries etc all the many countries are labeled with a two codes letter from the united nations etc and there is the third the third appendix gives the full list of these country codes the fourth is kind of atlas like 40 pages of the world maps zone by zone, but with an interest prioritizing the interest of bear watchers and ornithologists. So every geographical name that is included in the book will be very visible in these maps. 
And finally, there is a list of all the one country endemic species of birds. There are like 3,000 out of those 11,000 something. There are 3,300 more or less that only occur in one country. And uh, also these are marked by a symbol in the, in the maps. And in this appendix, you can see all the endemics, all the one country endemics, country by country, starting with the one that has most and the ending with the, those that only have one endemic. South Africa must be quite well somewhere in, in that uh, fifth ap- appendix. So you kind of answered the question there, but it just shows that the book has value both for newer birders as well as for experienced birders. Well, yes. Uh, I must say that our main motivation was that this book had to be uh, interesting for many, many people, no matter how, I mean, mean, have to be a bit of interest in, let's say, at least in nature, but but you don't need to be a an important or a, a professional ornithologist or anything like that. The, the previous projects were more targeting that people. This one targets more the general audience, but we decided that we didn't want to lose the, the professionals and the, and the expert ornithologists, and we took advantage to make this taxonomic comparison that we think is quite interesting for, for the other end of, of ornithologists and bear watchers, the most interested ones. We think it's quite interesting. There is I, I haven't seen something like that uh, in, in any other book, and uh, this was the thing. But I admit that the maximum motivation was let's reach many new people. So I'm going to ask a difficult question now. For many people, when they look at the price, 65 euro is a lot of money to pay for a book. So for South Africans, this works out at our present exchange rate to about 1,200 rand extra postage. You did a talk at the virtual British Bird Fair where you said you said that the book is affordable and you actually said that it's probably one of the best value for money books on the market. So can you explain why you feel this is true? Well, since I said that, I've changed my mind, and now I think it is the cheapest, <laughs> well, the most, the best value for money in the history of natural history publishing. Uh, I'm quite convinced. I'm not saying it's little money, or I'm not saying, uh, particularly in the case of South Africans, I think there is a problem with the exchange rates that are in a very bad moment for for the South African currency. So I'm not I'm not looking down at the amount of money, which I know is important for many people. But I'm simply comparing a book uh, you said is a monster with uh, <laughs> almost five kilos and almost one thousand pages and twenty thousand illustrations and fourteen thousand. distribution maps, well, all that is included makes the book, I would say that maybe I cannot analyze this in in South African brands, but in euros or in dollars or in pounds, the price is surprising. I mean, we ourselves as a publishing house are selling field guides of a country, Thailand, for 50 euros and 45 and some quite big ones is almost 60. So we are selling a large format book absolutely full of illustrations and contents for the price of a, a field guide, for a, not the cheapest field guide. But So I'm, I'm convinced that simply is, is a matter of comparison that is a really a lot of content, a lot of things that you get by 65 uh, euros. Anyway, I say I know that 
this amount of money could be important for many people and I respect and, and I would like to make it cheaper. And we'll see that we'll, we would need to receive a, a very important help or funding or something to make it cheaper. It's really, it's re- and it, it wouldn't have been possible without the previous investments we had already done because just to, to get a, a team of artists and produce 20 plus thousand illustrations that that would make the book a, a, a volume of the checklist or a volume of the of the handbook were close to 200 euros so we are selling this book for about one third of the cost of the previous ones so i really think that this effort and this has been done mainly for conservation because we want the price to be the least possible problem for many people enjoying and being influenced by this book so you just use the word conservation. So how do you feel that this book will aid the conservation of birds in the world? Well, I am quite convinced that, well, maybe it's not nice that I myself say that this book is going to be very important for conservation. But just looking at myself, I, I started becoming interested with a book. And I think that this book at this price and with all these things that we have been explaining will arrive to many people and a, a proportion of those people, there will be people that buy the book and enjoy a little bit, but then they forget. But others will become bear watchers and some will become quite interested bear watchers. And I hope that when you, I, I'm, I'm quite convinced that people that study birds, that watch birds, they always become interested in their conservation. So for me, there is, well, there is something that is known, that is that practically all the conservation societies in many parts of the world, in most countries of the world, had started by a group of people looking at birds, like in, in Britain with the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds that started in the 19th century. So I'm completely sure that the love and interest in birds produces an interest in the conservation, which influences others and the politicians, etc. So I really hope that this book is going to be important for many people becoming bird watcher and conservationist. Well, I know there's a lot of excitement about it, around something specific that's coming out, but what other projects are in, in the pipeline for Lynx editions? Well, we the, the, we have a very important one, and you South Africans are particularly interested on in this one. We are about to publish the uh, Seabirds of the World, the new edition of Peter Harrison's book that was the first mon- bird monography dedicated to a group of birds in 40 years ago. And the, this is appearing after 20 years of, of work by Peter Harrison and his team of co-authors. And I think this is going to be a, quite an important book as well. We have we are almost finishing another book on the another one of those guides to mammals of different countries. We are uh, advancing very much in one for Madagascar, and then we have other projects, but not so imminent because now with COVID we have to go slow and see how all this is going to fix. Uh, our sales of field guides have been greatly affected by by COVID because people we all know travel much less. So, but anyway, we are optimistic and we hope to to make reality most of these projects we still have. Well, 
I know South Africans, we cannot wait for the Seabirds book. So how does one go about ordering either the All the Birds, the World book or any other books? How do they go around ordering books? Well, I think we have a quite uh, well-organized website. It's very easy to find. You you can write in Google the name of, of, of the book, uh, All the Birds of the World, and you go directly there. Or you can write links edition. And in the in the website, you can go to each one of these prizes and get the, the best offers for each one, etc. It's, it's quite simple. We receive now, I would say, like 70% of, of the sales are directly arriving to our website from the readers, from the final user, which is nice and helps to make the books more affordable. Well, Josip, I really appreciate you being on the show today and I'll pop all the necessary links into the comment section of this podcast, but it's been great chatting to you and I hope we can be able to chat again soon because there's so much more of your story I'd like to chat about. So thanks for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I've also enjoyed very much. Thank you very much and all the best and take care. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Bird Enough project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.